Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week I talked a lot about, well, probably too much, yes, Thomas, sandwiches, probably too much, but you remembered. I talked a lot about sandwiches last week, and for the record, I had a sandwich for lunch after worship last Sunday for those of you who are wondering. Even if you weren't wondering, I did have a sandwich for lunch. And one of the things I pondered in my sermon was, why is a sandwich so much better that someone else tastes? And I revealed it a little in this service, because after the first service, somebody told me the scientific explanation being that, you know, when you're making a sandwich, you're already smelling the items that are going into it, and your, your taste glands, or whatever they are, begin to already become desensitized to those smells and flavors. But if somebody else makes a sandwich, when you take a bite into it, <coughs> for the first time, if you haven't made it, that's all new and fresh and exciting. <clears throat> so the bottom line is, you should always get somebody else to make a sandwich for you, because it's way better. <clears throat> now this week's reading is about the transfiguration, so I've been wondering this week, if there isn't a scientific explanation for why we are so easily distracted by shiny things. Why are we distracted by shiny things? So I did some research. I went to www.google.com and then I typed in a question. And I discovered that there is a scientific explanation for why shiny things catch our attention we apparently experience a surge of dopamine, and that creates a sense of excitement and anticipation, which makes that new or shiny object that much more appealing and attractive to us than whatever else it was we might have been focused on before that shiny thing caught our attention. So for example, it would not be surprising to become distracted by the presence of a Grammy award-winning pop icon singer during the broadcast of a championship football game later today. <laughs> and knowing that that distraction has a scientific explanation makes me maybe a little more patient when the camera you know, views on to uh, the celebrities who are in the skyboxes at the game, I'm not even sure they're watching the game. But it is somewhat irritating that they will cheer louder when they see a celebrity on the screen than when the 49ers score a touchdown, and then another one, and then another one. <laughs> we are, for the faithful, I'm talking to you, we are gonna need to be focused today because they are gonna need our help to make sure that this game goes the way I think most of us want, we've probably been praying for. Um, we, as someone, William said on the way in, we're rooting for the red team. <laughs> Our gospel reading this morning culminates in a very shiny, blindingly shiny experience for Peter, James, and John as Jesus was transfigured <laughs> before them. However, as compelling as it is to imagine Jesus in those dazzling white clothes, if we were to only focus upon his appearance, we would miss 
the point that, Je- that God was making through the transfiguration of Jesus. And that point is to reveal who Jesus is. Not to reveal how shiny he is, but to reveal who he is. Now up until this point in Mark's gospel, we've read a lot about what Jesus has taught and what Jesus did. And we're, now we're at about almost exactly the halfway point in, in the, the book of, or gospel of Mark. So there's a turning point here. And from here we will transition from Jesus being presented as a teacher and a healer to being presented as the long-awaited Messiah. We started reading from Mark on the first Sunday of Christmas. So we've been reading from Mark's gospel since last year. And almost every Sunday we've read about Jesus casting out demons, providing some sort of healing and teaching as well. But now we will experience a shift from Jesus as rabbi and healer to Jesus as Messiah. Our reading begins with Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they provide a variety of answers, much like the answers that were, were provided to Herod. Was that last week or the week before? I, they all blur a bit. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the other prophets. And then Jesus gets down to brass tacks. Who do you say that I am? Peter, front and center, appears to answer the question correctly. But it soon becomes obvious that Peter doesn't know what he's talking about. He says the right word, but he doesn't know what it means. He doesn't know what it means for Jesus to be Messiah. You see, the Hebrew people had been waiting a long time for a Messiah to come and deliver them from their bondage, the bondage that they felt like they lived under. And they thought that the Messiah would come and would overthrow their enemies with great power and authority to finally give them or make them the, <clears throat> the royal priesthood, the holy nation that, that the prophet Isaiah had spoken about. They thought this would be a big time of deliverance for them. They were finally going to get theirs. However, Jesus came armed with the power of God's gracious love. Not to overthrow foreign nations on their behalf, but to love God's creation and to provide a path to redemption and reconciliation for all people. Jesus explained that he, the Son of Man, must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and three days later raised. Peter just couldn't understand why Jesus as the Messiah would have to suffer and die. And in response to to Peter's response, Jesus rebuked Peter, telling him, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, on human, but on human things. Poor Peter. There he goes. In a matter of three verses, he goes from being the disciple with the right answer to the disciple who can't get anything right. It's likely that Peter was just saying what the other disciples were thinking, but he was the one who said it out loud. I think they were probably all focused on human things, 
on their human understanding and expectations rather than how God might send a Messiah in a way that they could never have imagined. To their way of thinking, the only way they were ever going to be delivered from their second tier status as a nation and a people would have been through a successful military campaign. How else are you going to get on top if you don't defeat others and climbing up that mountain to get there? But that's not the Jesus that Peter and the disciples were following. What Jesus had done during his life and ministry, he didn't do anything that would suggest that then he was all of a sudden as Messiah going to turn to military power to overthrow other countries. It just, nations, it just isn't who Jesus was or is. No, Jesus came as a Messiah with a different plan. With a divine plan, not a human plan, to deliver his people. But that plan utilized no less power and authority to change the world than if he had come as a military leader. Perhaps the most frightening thing about Jesus' response to, to Peter and his rebuke of him was not him saying, get behind me, Satan, which would have had to sting quite a bit, I'm sure, but Jesus' further explanation about what it means to be a disciple. If a Messiah, if as Messiah, Jesus is going to allow the authorities to kill him, can you imagine what will be asked of his followers? If as Messiah, Jesus is going to allow the religious authorities to kill him, what do you think might be required of those who are his disciples? You see, if Jesus had in fact come as a great and powerful general to lead his people to a victory in battle, it would be safe to assume that his closest followers probably would have held some high position in the military, right? Positions of great respect. But that's not what Jesus did. No, Jesus came as a servant to all, as a sacrifice for all, wielding the power of God's love to deliver God's chosen people. So those who follow Jesus must also become servants to all and sacrifice for all. We, as Jesus said, must deny ourselves and take up our cross to follow him. Now this leads nicely, thank you Jesus, into our Lenten observance this year. It all kind of just works out that way, if you believe in coincidences. On Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday, we will begin a 40-day challenge on serving. Serving like Jesus. Now we still have some of these books available in the narthex, so if you haven't picked yours up, you, I would encourage you to do so today. Each, the, this book has a daily devotion or reflection for the 40 days of Lent. Every day during Lent, which is the 40 days not including Sundays between Ash Wednesday and Easter, in addition to reading the reflection that Pastor Zach Zender has written in this book, we will be releasing a video that accompanies that reading um, where you'll get to hear more from me. And I mean, probably, who, who, you can't get enough of that, I'm sure. And then if you would like to be a part of a small group and haven't been assigned to one yet, you can um, 
let myself or Cynthia know, as I told them in the, moder- or the classic service this morning, if you let me know, I'm just going to tell Cynthia anyway. Either way, though. Um, <clears throat> and we can get you into small groups. Those small groups will start meeting the end of this week and into next week, and they'll meet each, every week for six weeks um, around, again, around the, the challenge to serve like Jesus. The challenge for us during this Lenten season and always is, not to, is to not allow ourselves to focus upon those shiny human things that can distract us from the divine revelation of who Jesus is and how his life, death, and resurrection did in fact deliver us from our captivity to sin and death. He did it maybe not in the way the Israelites imagined, And maybe not in the way that we would have preferred. But if God is pleased with God's son, the beloved. And if God is pleased with God's son, the beloved as the Messiah. Who are we to question or to guess or second guess how Jesus came to deliver us from our bondage to sin. Instead, that voice from heaven was clear. It was clear when it said, We are to listen to Jesus. Kids, I don't know if you heard that. We are to listen to Jesus. The second half of Mark's gospel provides us with further explanation about who Jesus is as Messiah and what it means to be his true disciple. We begin our journey this week with the disciples and with Jesus, and we will make our way to Jerusalem to another mountain top, hopefully not too high, I'm afraid of heights. But this is the one where Jesus will be crucified. And along the way, we and the disciples are gonna get distracted, folks. There's gonna be plenty of shiny things for us to look at, human things to distract us. But all along the way, Jesus will continue to draw the disciples and us back to the way to the way of the cross, to the way of salvation, to the way of loving and serving others as we have been loved and served by him. Thanks be to God. Amen.